Good morning. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz get the win. They open the road trip the right way. They beat the Pelicans in New Orleans. And the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Cleveland Browns and keep their faint playoff hopes alive. Was it Big Ben's last game at Heinz Field? He doesn't really want to go into it. You know, probably, but he's crying in the postgame interview. So, yeah, it was his last game at Heinz Field. Uh, We'll get to the Monday Night Football in a few minutes. But right now, the Jazz. Jazz beat the Pelicans. That was not a great start offensively. They struggled, but I think this team offensively is really good. So it gets defined by its defense. And the Pelicans, when the Jazz are having a poor half, didn't take advantage of it. Trailed at halftime. Despite the fact the Jazz are struggling offensively, you knew they'd get it going. You knew they'd score points in bunches. There were 30-point quarters out there, and they were going to get them, and sure enough, they did. And the Jazz pull away and win pretty comfortably. Now, you'll hear this coming up in the postgame. There's some tension about you know the way the Jazz defend, the way the Jazz defend with Rudy Gobert off the floor. He was in foul trouble. Hassan Whiteside isn't back, so they had to go to the small ball lineup. And you know a lot was made of... How good can they be in the small ball lineup? They weren't good in the small ball lineup. Rudy in the playoffs gets pulled out of position. What it comes down to, and Conley and uh, Quinn Snyder will talk about this, and (laughs) Quinn with a little sarcasm. The small ball lineup is successful if the Jazz defenders stay in front of their guys. It's a pretty simple concept, really. Can they stay in front of their guys? Yeah, you can stay in front of your guys when you got Rudy Gobert behind you because the guys don't really want to get by you and go challenge Rudy. It makes life a lot easier. Now, if Rudy is in the game, and in this case it was because of the foul trouble, and he's not going to play 48 minutes in every game, I mean, the playoffs will push his minutes up there and try to get him, you know, not just to 35, but to 38 or 40 minutes a game. But still, when he's out, the other team starts driving to the rim, see if they can get a bunch of easy buckets. To a certain degree, the small ball lineup can be successful if the Jazz outscore those guys and just that small ball lineup is prolific offensively. But whether Rudy is in the game or not, can guys stay in front of their men? Because eventually they're going to face a team that can put five shooters on the floor. Because Golden State can do that. And eventually you're going to face Golden State. So guys, regardless of Rudy's on the floor or not, and regardless of how much we talk about the small ball lineup, can the Jazz players stay between their man and the basket? Or can opponents take the Jazz off the dribble? And if they need the assist of a screen, uh, well, whatever. But can the Jazz stay in front of their guys as a group? And the answer largely has been, eh, eh, not really. Which means offset it by outscoring. If they score on most of their possessions when Rudy's out of the game, well, you score on all your possessions, or nearly all your possessions. Be even when Rudy's off the floor and when, when he's on the floor. But you can't get torched when he's off the floor. Now, that's the bigger picture stuff, which is what they're really talking about in the postgame coming up. As far as this specific game, there's a big gap between the top five teams in the league and teams 15, 20, or 25. And you can put the Jazz wherever you want in the top five. I would probably put them at number three if you want to put them at two or four or one or five, whatever. But the point is, with all of those teams, when you get down to a team like the Pelicans, there's a big gap. And the Pelicans have to be really good. And the Jazz were off their game early. You'll hear Quinn talk about them running in mud. And that first half offensively wasn't good, but I really didn't think that was going to last. They're too talented. they got too many guys who can make shots. Conley's going to hit some shots. Donovan's going to hit some shots. They're going to get their points. 
And they did. And they get the win. So it's 15-3 and in the last 18 games now since they lost the Pelicans at home. The Jazz are on a roll. They're playing really well. They got Denver on Wednesday and Toronto on Friday. And we'll see if they make it 17 out of 20. PK just kind of threw that number out there. And it is very close to happening. Uh, the Monday Night Football game... Bit of a snoozer there. Pittsburgh and Cleveland insisted throwing the ball a lot. It didn't really move the ball up and down the field. Pittsburgh ended up kicking a lot of field goals and winning the game. So the Steelers keep their faint playoff hopes alive, but they only get in the playoffs if they beat Baltimore, which isn't a sure thing, and if the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Colts, which seems really unlikely. It seems very unlikely. So Big Ben went out with a win at home, and the city can have its love affair with the quarterback, and uh, Pittsburgh, uh, the Steelers are to Pittsburgh what the Jazz are to Utah. And I know Pittsburgh has the Pirates, too. Um, and they got the Penguins also, uh, but the Steelers are really important there. And Ben won two Super Bowls, and they love him, and, you know, it can be over the top. The victory lap was kind of Cal Ripken-ish there, and, uh, and then he loitered on the field and waited for the kids to come down and hug him and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, hey, we love our melodrama. You're lucky if you get to uh, play sports at the highest level until you're 40 and you have kids who can come down and hug you on the field. <laughs> Most of us, yeah, we get, we don't make high school teams. Or we do make high school teams, we don't make varsities. Or you make varsity and you're done your senior year in high school. Probably not going to have your wife and kids come down out of the stands at the 70,000-seat stadium. <laughs> but Roethlisberger, three Super Bowls and two wins, and uh, it's been a heck of a ride there in Pittsburgh. And now we are down to the final week of the season, a little bit of drama. Who will match up? Who's in? Who's out? Uh, there could be some teams backing out of the playoffs. The Raiders and Chargers have their winner-take-all showdown. Um, so we'll see how this all plays out down the stretch. All right, we've got to take a break. When we come back, uh, our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, and then best of the Jazz postgame show. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz and the Pelicans playing last night. We're going to get to the best of the postgame show coming up in the next segment. Right now, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. We had him on in the 9 o'clock hour yesterday. Obviously, he wasn't talking about the Pelican game. Uh, More about the Warrior game Saturday night and where the Warriors stack up in the NBA and how they play and how they've done this. I mean, the Warriors are just incredible. Here's Steve Cleveland with PK and I. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And the New Year kicked off with the Utes in the Rose Bowl, which was an enormous game and an enormous event. And you live in California, so you know all about that. And you've also lived in Utah, so you know how uh, crazy our state goes for big events. And we certainly did. And then there was a little game afterwards where the Utes played the Warriors. Excuse me, the Jazz played the Warriors. And I came away with that thinking... Oh my gosh, the Warriors have done such a great job of developing role players and young guys. Wiggins has a level of confidence now. He did not blink in the fourth quarter. He scored nine straight points, and Steph Curry made big shots before that and after it. So it's not like Curry didn't do anything, because he did. But And I know when you reintegrate guys, it could mess things up, but I'm feeling like the Warriors should be the overwhelming favorite to win the championship. Am I out of my mind? Is this recency bias because I just watched that game? Well, you know, uh, first of all, I agree with you, uh, especially when I sat there on Twitter or 
Instagram or somewhere or somewhere, and I saw Clay Thompson make 24 three-pointers in <laughs> three games. <laughs> I mean, they, they showed him making all 24. So somewhere on social media, I watched it a day or two ago, and it showed Clay making 24 threes in a row. Uh, he's he's going to be back soon. I, we'll see how that all figures out. But, I, you know, here's the thing about the words. I actually watched that game. And I don't have an eye, and, and I've watched pretty much all of it. I just, for whatever reason, I don't normally watch all of NBA games, but I was so intrigued by that game. And I'm, I'm telling you right now that Andrew Wiggins, I mean, he's, he's an all star. I mean, he, I don't know if he'll make the all star team, but I'll tell you what, he is playing with such confidence, such resolve, and uh, it's fun to watch him, man. I mean, he is a huge piece of that. And th- and then to watch Otto Porter Jr., who I really don't even know, and I you know I, mean, I know him because I live in California, and everybody here is a Golden State fan in Northern California. But he has been just amazing. And then in that game, Iguodala hit big shots. And besides the fact that uh, uh, you know they they had 39 assists, that just tell, tells you. I mean, I'm sitting there watching my Lakers and just sick to my stomach. And there's no movement, and and Golden State just is in constant motion, and uh, you know, and they had to make big shots at the end to win, and and the Jazz certainly, I don't know, they scored at least I think 40 or so in the third quarter. They got themselves in a position where they could win that game. Wow, just thinking about Clay coming back and what this team's got going, that coaching staff, that organization, uh, they've really turned Wiggins and Porter and Iguodala. We you know you're going to get what you get, but. He hit a huge three in that game. But, uh, yeah, I, I came away feeling the same thing, is that these guys, it, they are hard to guard. And and they and they do rely on perimeter shots, but they have great shooters. Yeah, they really do. I like the one play where um, Curry's coming around from the left side, and he gets the ball in front of the Jazz bench, and he turns around and squares on, shoots all in one motion and drops in a three. And Ron Boone was doing the the uh, color commentating, and I like what he said. There was no, oh my gosh, and oh no, uh, hyperbolic standard or statement, however you say that word. He just said, he's unbelievable. And the way he said it, it just, like, I'm going to go walk the dog. He's unbelievable. <laughs> and I thought about it, and that's really the best way to sum it up because it's happened so often for so long that you don't need to scream and yell and go, Dick Vitale, I'm oh, baby, and all that stuff. Just He's unbelievable. And really, that says it all to me in an understated way to try to describe what this fella can do out on the basketball floor. Yeah, and, and he's in a perfect system that's been developed for him. And uh, and because you do have to spend a great deal of time chasing him and 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 finding him and knowing where he's at, which allows other guys to get more open shots. And then that's what happens on great teams that have great players. And and what defines, I think, great teams is, is you know your fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh guys down you know in the depth chart. When when they can, they just play with so much confidence and and. That, I just can't tell you, no. I, I've just never seen a team move. And, and, and you know, listen, Phoenix and Utah are, are great teams as well. They're going to be right in there. But nobody moves the ball offensively, and, and they're underrated defensively as well. I mean, you don't think of Golden State, but I, I didn't realize it. But I think I heard somebody say that they were like, in terms of 
just point scorers. They're Golden State's number one in the NBA defensively. And I don't know. There's lots of categories, but uh, I think they're right up there at one or two. And and we're always talking about their offense, but the the defense is is really 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 good. And, and uh, a good friend of mine, Ron Adams, who was there for a long, he's still there with the Warriors. He's he's not on the front bench anymore. He's in a more of a supportive role. But, you know, I consider him one of the geniuses of the game. I watched him as a high school coach and a college coach, a junior college coach. But we, we do talk a great deal, but Golden State is really, really good defensively in terms of principles and where they're supposed to be. They're just, I guess the best word for me is they are absolutely connected at both ends of the floor. They are number one in defensive rating. I looked up while you were talking. Jazz are six, Suns are two, Warriors are one right yeah, now. I mean, and you could tell Ron Adams, the Gauchos really would have been somebody if he hadn't left. I'm still a little bummed about that. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let him know that when yeah, you think know. when I see him. <laughs> That's probably, probably the only person who says that to him, but nonetheless. So when I, I always uh, say this, and then Pete always gets mad at me. Uh, but the NBA is a copycat league. Whatever works, right? And so the pick and roll, which when Jerry Sloan had stocked it alone, doing it, oh, Jerry's old school. This offense is old school. Now you flash forward 25, 30 years, and everybody's running the pick and roll, and the Warriors is old school. At times, I think I see bits of the flex offense, this pass and cutaway thing that we ran when I was in high school. Is the whole league going to spin around to that in a few years? Because the thing that really helps the Warrior defense is everybody's chasing these guys around fighting through screens. It's bound to leave some guys fatigued and some guys missing shots late in game. Their offense is absolutely helping their defense. Well, I don't care what level you're at. If you're a high school coach or you're a junior college coach or Division One coach in the NBA, coaches watch a lot of film. And, and we, you know, coaches steal from others, concepts, ideas, set plays, quick hitters, you know, whatever it might be. So there, there will be an influence, and I, and I think that, you know, you, you build a team and an organization for a system, and Golden State has that system, and they know what they're looking for. You know, I, I've watched Cleveland play a couple of times, and, and they're doing things so dramatically different with playing three seven-footers. Well, that's not going to be something that a lot of people jump into because most teams aren't going to play three seven-footers at the same time. But teams like Golden State, teams like the Jazz, teams like Phoenix, they're kind of the standard bearers in the NBA. And, and, and I, 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 there's no way that every coach in the NBA and all of their assistants, and, and you know, they've got so much experience in the game, is that you do see uh, Princeton principles. You do see flex action. You, you, you do see a wheel action. You do see a lot of back screens and back cuts. A lot of things that were prevalent in, at the collegiate level, with, depending on the program, and now you know it, 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 you, you see a lot of this type of movement. You didn't used to see this. I mean, the Lakers are still just playing power basketball, pounded, and and and, and do that. But the, the game is changing. And I, I watched Charlotte play for for a few few minutes of the day, and guys are moving. And so yeah, I, I do believe the league is going to go to more movement, more action with that. I mean, the ball screen is not going away. It's certainly going to be a prevalent part of the NBA, but it's one of those things that movement with ball screens, with back cuts, just the tiny issues and the constant movement makes you really, really hard to guard. Now, that being said, you don't have guys that are really good shooters. 
And, you know, you kind of sometimes have to adjust to your talent. And where, where is the strength of our teams? And I was watching Cleveland. You know, you, you look at Mobley, young kid here, and, and, and they're kind of pounding the ball inside. And then Kevin Love steps out, hits some threes. So everybody has their own identity, a lot of it depending on personnel. But if you, I mean, I'm watching Chicago, for instance. I mean, who would have ever thought that Chicago would be, you know, in first place in the NBA East? We knew those trades took place and we saw what happened. But, you know, they're, they're a, a team that can score in transition. They can beat you off the dribble. You know, they're not running. They're, there's not a lot of action, but they keep the floor spread and they have to respect shooters. And uh, they have, you know, they have guys that, to exactly like who can really attack the basket. So that's not gone away. A, a lot of the dribble drive and, and the penetration action is a big part of the NBA. It's also a big part of high school basketball in California right now and throughout, throughout the country. So uh, we do. Coaches will take and watch. And, uh, and and make tweaks. And that's one of the fun things about coaching is whether it's quick hitters, like I used to always watch out-of-bounds plays, quick hitters, ISOs, late-game stuff. I, I, when I would watch basketball when I was really involved, I was always taking notes and implementing. And if any time you have a dead ball or a timeout, you know, you need to come out of that timeout with some kind of action that's different than what you've been doing to kind of get a have an advantage. And so I know I know the NBA guys are all watching each other, and some have the personnel to play like, you know, Golden State to a certain degree, but a lot of them don't have that personnel set to play that way. But certainly the concepts of all these different types of actions that have accumulated over the years, it's uh, it, the, the NBA is not. I mean, obviously the screen and roll is a, a big part of that, and and uh, but there's a lot of other stuff going on that. Uh, has really made the NBA fun to watch. From the Jazz perspective, I think they're going to have to play much better to beat the Warriors if they should get them in a postseason, or even Phoenix for that matter. But if I look at this individual game uh, against the Warriors, they lost, and you're, you, know, you don't accept losing and don't think that uh, it's okay by any stretch. But if I look at it, I sort of can just say to myself, I can rationalize very easily with you got Ingles, 1 of 7, 0 of 6 from 3, Mitchell, 4 of 19, 2 of 9, Conley, 4 of 13, 2 of 6. Shots didn't fall. So from the Jazz perspective, I'm nowhere near getting nervous or pushing any type of panic button. No, especially when, you know, because it was, it was an aberration. I mean, I, I don't I don't have all the analytics that access to all that, but Mitchell going 4 for 19 at home, that, I, you know, if that happened to Golden State, okay, that makes sense. But, but you're right. They, they didn't shoot the ball well. And, I mean, the third quarter they played well. But, but they're, they're a team that uh, has the capacity and capability to beat Golden State. And Golden State, I mean, Iguodala had made some big shots. And we keep saying that, you know, when you, when you take a look at, at, at the shooters that Golden State has, but they made big baskets late in the game, and they've got a lot of confidence. But, you know, when, when it comes down to nutcracking time and it's time to win games, you get in the playoffs and things, you know, I, I think teams are going to play. You know, I mean, I, you're going to see – you've seen a little bit already, but guys are going to get doubled. You know, you're going to play people differently. You're going to give certain guys shots. And that all gets figured out through the course of the year. But when playoffs time comes, you know, you, you've got to have a solid foundation offensively and defensively 
But oftentimes, adjustments in games are, are the difference where, hey, you know what? We're going to take the ball out of Steph's hand every time he touches it. We're going to make somebody else beat, beat us. Well, right now, Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter Jr. and uh, I forgot another, another young player, they've stepped up and made those shots when – you know, you took the, took the ball out of his hands. But Clay Thompson coming back, it's going to be even more difficult. But I, I don't think there's any reason for the Jazz or the Phoenix Suns uh, or, uh, you know, a few other teams there in the West. That I mean, well, those are the top three, and they're probably going to be there right at the end. But there's no reason to panic on that. It's, it's one of those things that I see, uh, you know, there's what? We, probably, we played half, I mean, we pretty much played almost half the season. And so there's a lot of basketball left. But I like the Jazz a lot, and I think they have a great opportunity. Uh, but they, when they have bad shooting, actually, because they're not, they're not getting a lot of points in the paint. I mean, Gobert is scoring around the paint and stuff, and there's not a lot of attacking the rim. Certainly, Mitchell is the, is the one guy on that team that can really take it to the rack, rack and, and create, as well as Clarkson at times. But you know, they're, they're right in the thick of it, and uh, they just got to keep playing and uh, – doing what they're doing. But the adjustments that could happen and make – you're in the second half of this season, there will be adjustments, and people will play people differently. And then when they get to the playoffs, the same – there will be more adjustments. But, I, I mean, Utah offensively is number one in the, you know, in the league offensively, one in, number one field goal percentage. Uh, they're, you know, in, in the top five or six defensively. I mean, they're right there in a position to, to win an NBA championship. And I, I think that's um, that's what they're thinking, and I know that's what the fans are hoping. On the college basketball front, the West Coast Conference had the entire uh, schedule wiped out this weekend. The Pac-12 played uh, two games and had three games canceled. How many games a week can college kids be playing? I know in AAU they play a bunch of games, but they're not getting on planes and flying all over the place uh, between every game either. Uh, how should these games be rescheduled, do you think? If they should. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't know how they're going to do it. And, uh, you know, it's, the WCC is not, you know, they're not going across the country for games and, and you, you know, the distances. Uh, they all live on the West Coast, so it's probably easier there where people can get on a bus, don't even have to worry about a flight, and get to games. But I, I think it's going to be ta- – it's problematic. I, I just worry that when I start seeing seven, eight, nine, ten games being postponed, it, it, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I, kinda, I don't know if this is a conspiracy theory or what, or, you know, is this all COVID – is it situations where they have these health protocols like the NBA has? Is it, I mean, everything seems to be asymptomatic. Uh, somebody gets tested positive. I, I don't even know what the time frame is for college players. Do they have to wait three or four days or 48 hours, be retested again? I don't understand a lot of that. My, my thinking is, and, and this is, I don't know, I'm sitting there thinking our, our programs – you hope it's all on the up and up. You know, well, we've got, we've got a kid here. We're playing Gonzaga Wednesday, and we do have a couple kids with you know, COVID, and, and I don't think we want to take a chance. I mean, I don't know who's making these decisions. I hope it's athletic directors, and I hope it's at the highest level of integrity. But when you start seeing all this, you go, wow, how are they going to figure this out? You know, and is it going to come back down to uh, – because they're not going to be able to make up all the games. I just don't see that happening. And how are we going to decide 
who qualifies it. Is the conference tournament going to be exactly who I would determine? And then, you know, when you examine uh, the pedigree of a team over some teams play 17 games, some play 22, some play 28, uh, I, that for me is uh, hard to, to grasp and put my arms around. It, it makes me nervous. It just does make me nervous. And uh, hopefully they it, it, it resolves itself and we can get things figured out. But, uh, you know, you played Gonzaga twice and you played BYU once and St. Mary's twice and USF once. And, 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 you know, you've got five or six losses and then there's other teams in your league who haven't played, only played one of those teams. Whereas the parity, how's that all going to get figured out? Will it just be the, you know, the, NA, the net or the RPI of a team that, you know, gets teams into the NC2A tournament? Those things, it just kind of reminds me of things that happened a couple of years ago that uh, I hope we don't go to that point because it's just, you, you want to see this time of the year, you want to be able to see teams play collegiately and, and that, that this is an exciting time, especially in February and March. He's Steve Cleveland. He joins us every week here to talk basketball on the zone. The former BYU basketball coach, Steve, we appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good week. There's Steve Cleveland with PK and I. When we come back, the best little post game show, the Jazz and the Pelicans, coming up next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz open up a five-game road trip in New Orleans. This game will take us to the midseason mark. That was game 37. When the trip's over, it'll be 41 down and 41 to go. Let's get to the best of the Jazz post-game show now. The Jazz and the Pelicans in New Orleans. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz win last night over the Pelicans, 115-104. to Great night from Donovan Mitchell, particularly good fourth quarter. 29 points from Donovan, five assists. He grabbed three rebounds as well. Uh, Mike Conley, very good, 22 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. Bogdanovich with 21. Rudy Gobert with 10 to go along with 17 rebounds. And Clarkson had 14 coming in off the bench. Uh, Jazz did a nice job limiting Brandon Ingram. Uh, held him to 10 points on three of eight. Shooting. Jonas Valanciunas had a nice night with 25, uh, but uh, not enough as the Jazz get to win over the Pelicans, 115-104. to 104. Let's get you some post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Coach, how, how important is, was it for you guys to be able to, um, to put Saturday behind an emotional game, you know, kind of regroup mentally, uh, collectively, and, and, and come out and play with the energy that, that you guys played with tonight, especially in the second half? Yeah, I guess I don't, I don't, I don't think it was about Saturday as much as it was just us finding energy. Um, but, you know, hopefully you move on after every game and try to get better. But, you know, we were in mud early in the game. Uh, and when that happens, we basically build a wall for ourselves and, uh, you know, we can't have any pace. We can't have any force. And that, that's, that's hard, a hard way to play, especially when we're a team that's trying to attack and get in the paint. And it's particularly difficult when you've got, you know, ball pressure up the court in the backcourt, you know, you're getting pressured, but you can't beat your man because you're running into one of your teammates. Um, so we just, we weren't running and we weren't connected and, you know, it makes it hard for us to generate shots. We, you know, kind of walk into pick and roll and then try to make something happen. And um, pretty soon we're up against the shot clock. So when, when when we actually started running, whether it be on makes or misses, um, it's just a different mindset. And, you know, I thought, you know, eventually we were able to 
you know, to, to, to get some defensive rebounds. And we just have to understand that, you know, it's going to be hard for Mike Conley to get a rebound with Valanciunas. It's going to be hard for Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell to get a rebound against Valanciunas. But if Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell and Boyan fight Valanciunas, we got a chance to get a rebound. And that's what I saw late is just everybody making an effort to be, you know, to be involved in a play as opposed to guys, you know, watching and hoping someone else is going to get it and saying, shoot, you know, they got it. Uh, I thought the glass late was big. Eric Walden. Hugh, you guys have been relatively subdued from three-point range the last five games or so tonight. Uh, kind of break out 19 of 39. How much do those little those those things like you just mentioned, playing with energy, the rebounding, the ball movement, contribute to that effort? Well, that, that's where it starts with the running for us. And it, it's not, you know, it's not like the, the old Lakers showtime where we're running for layups and dunks, but we've got to run in order to create space so that we can play in, you know, in a larger space where our quickness and our shooting, um, that combination can, can give us an advantage. So um, I, I think we've got a few guys that are passing some threes up that we need to take them. Um, but again, if, if you're not running, um, by definition, you're not spaced. Uh, and then everything gets harder because, you know, you're not able to make the kind of quick decisions that we need. So I thought that we started to do that in the second half. And I also thought our execution, um, that generated some of those threes that you're talking about, um, was really good late. You know, we were, we were smart about, attacking certain mismatches. We recognized, you know, when we were getting blitzed and we were spaced in those situations. And, you know, there was a few times I thought, you know, Rudy had the ball at the basket and maybe three or four times it just plays that, that he makes. And, you know, he's made all year that just didn't happen tonight. Um, I think because of some of the physicality, but uh, our ability to play through those possessions and not um, to get to the next play and keep guarding, I thought late was also important. Sarah Todd. Quinn, after the last game, Mike mentioned that when you guys are playing without Hassan or without one of your sort of traditional bigs, that you, they, the guards have to sort of retrain their minds defensively because you're not trying to force a guy to Rudy or Hassan. So when you, when you have guys out there without one of those traditional bigs, what are some of maybe a couple of things that you want those guards to keep in mind? So let me get this right. If, if Rudy's not in, we actually have to defend and contain the ball because if Rudy's not in, we get beat. He doesn't, you know, I, I guess I, I get to go back to Mike and ask him what he meant because like basically um, it's true when Rudy's not there, he can't cover up our mistakes. But I think part of our growth as a team is those guys that are on the perimeter Um you know, we just need to be determined to stay in front no matter who's on the court. Um, you know, I, and I saw some possessions late. Um, and when I say that, uh, you know, that's not necessarily a one-on-one -on -one situation. It's, you know, all the other guys being shifted, you know, and creating a crowd, um, you know, and then it's, you know, if someone's going to go by you, don't let them beat you to the middle of the floor where they have more options. Um, and that's going to be something for us. That's, you know, the boards, 
like tonight and being able to stand front. There's, there's going to be times where we stand front and, you know, a bigger guy like Ingram is going to shoot over you, but you know, at least that's the shot they got to make as opposed to getting to the rim. And that's something that, you know, I think Mike and Donovan and Roy, all those guys, you know, taking pride in that containment and taking pride in defensive rebounding, because um, those are the, the, the areas that, um, you know, that when we can do that, then Rudy really becomes effective um, because he's not cleaning up a mistake. He's impacting a play in another way. Time for one last question, Andy Larson. You guys limited Brandon Ingram to 10 points, three of 18 shooting. What was kind of the key to success there? Well, we had a number of guys that, that ended up on him because of transition situations. And, you know, kind of to Sarah's point earlier, I thought um, we did a really good job um, of being disciplined, you know, and not fouling him and keeping him in front and making him try to shoot contested jumpers. Um, and then when he did go to the basket, you know, we had really good communication where Rudy was able to switch on to him and contest his shot. And, you know, that that's where that, that th those plays there are the ones that, you know, we really, that that's the play we want. And then we're, you know, a lot of times exposed on the glass. Um, but tonight, to be honest with you, after that did happen, you know, I thought our guys did an unbelievable job fighting Valanchunas on the post. He, he got some buckets, but, you know, some of our smaller guys that got switched on to him, you know, really worked and made it hard for him to get the ball and get in good position in, in that situation. So the combination of, you know, guarding those guys, both Valanchunas and Ingram together, I think was something that we did well as a team. There you go. That's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder after his team wins 115-104 over the New Orleans Pelicans. Let's get to the players. Let's hear from Donovan Mitchell. Kind of want to go a little bit off the subject with you for one question. Um, yeah. You know, what's your favorite Dwayne Wade memory um, of when he was a player and what are the, the attributes physically that, that you know, you've tried to emulate and, and, you know, what do you think has made him such a good player in his career? Um... My favorite memory. Um, I would say the playing the Pacers. I think it's him and Bron in this moment. Um, so they're playing the Pacers, and I think it was pretty cool how they just did this and manipulated the game in, uh, in the fourth quarter. And then overtime, um, it was like they took turns, you know, go scoring, continuing to score. And Dwayne Wade kind of took over and, you know, hit a, a – a BS shot. You could tell him I said that too. You could put that in there. Uh, tied it up. Um, kind of did the whole, this is my house thing. Not, not the one that he, where he stood on the table. He kind of did the whole, this is my house. And then forced it to overtime. I think it was over Paul George. And then Brown followed it up with a three in overtime to kind of clinch it. That was a pretty cool moment for me. Uh, at that time, I was a Heat fan. Uh, it's one of the ones that sticks out uh, to me. Um, I don't know why, but that's just one of the first ones I can I can think of. Everybody's going to say, you know, when he gets on the table and yelling this Mario, he hits the game winners. But, you know, for me, just watching him from afar growing up, not realizing how much of an impact he would have on my life and my career, um, to guarding him his last year, you know, last few, his last year, uh, last two years, I think, um, you know, I have a few photos of us, just me guarding him and just the smile on my face, I think is pretty dope. Uh, just because, you know, you're witnessing, you know, you're playing against greatness, you understand this is really the last time he's going to be on a basketball court and you're, I'm there doing, guarding it, uh, guarding him. Um, 
And then what makes him special, man, like I, I go back to his third year in the league, you know, his stardom and his fame and his, his level of play took off in a matter of three years, uh, 24 years old, you know, manipulating the game and against a great team in the Dallas Mavericks, um, leading team full of vets on that team to to a championship um, when they were down and, and they came back and, 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 and did what they were supposed to do, you know, against the free throw line. Like there's so many different things that I just look at. I'm like, man, at a, at, at a young age, you know, be able to do that at the biggest stage, you know, one of those things. I think that's very, really impressive um, to now, you know, being an owner of a team, you know, being around him a lot, talking to him a lot, you know, it's, it's been great. You know, I'm appreciative of it. I'm, I'm honored to have that. Um, I hope that answers your question. That's pretty much, you know, it. Eric Walden. Don, you guys have been relatively subdued from three point range the last five games or so tonight, you guys go 19 of 39. What was kind of the difference? Um, the the kind of the, the screw it mentality, just let it fly, you know, not overthinking it, just catch and shoot, letting it go. We got some good looks too. Um, we've played two teams who have pretty athletic long wings. Um, so our shots aren't going to be as open as they are against other teams. And, you know, we kind of got to a point where we just said, you know what, screw it. We're just going to let it fly and let it shoot and finding guys and continue moving the ball. And that's who we are. Like I said, uh, Last game, you know, sometimes these reads are just shoot it, you know, because if you get – if you shot fake, you know, that might be the best shot of the possession, you know, against the paint. Now you're dealing with, you know, 6'10", 6'11", and then the wingspans that come with it. So um, sometimes just letting it go with confidence. You know, we did that tonight, got guys good looks, and I think that's been, you know, the biggest thing is just continuing to do what we do and shoot. Ben Anderson. Don, it seems like you break more guys' ankles now than you used to when you got into the NBA. What's that process been like for you uh, as you've added that to your game? And then what what is that kind of like in the moment? What are you looking for uh, when you pull back and step back? Um, honestly, I I don't know what I'm looking for. I think the biggest thing is, you know, for instance, tonight, you know, the biggest thing for when I drive right, I'm a dominant right driver. It's no secret. Um, but, you know, if you try to cut me off, that's kind of where I get to the pullback. If you don't cut me off, I'm getting to the rim. And I think my finishing has allowed me to uh, progress to get into that because guys and teams don't want me to get to the rim. So they're so determined to get back in front, which allows me to kind of get to those moves where they're trying to take away my right hand, which allows me to kind of go behind my back and get to my left. Uh, so I think it really starts with being able to finish the score downhill um, because that forces teams to want to get back in front of you. Now you're pulling back. Now you're stopping, changing direction and uh, getting into the paint. Sarah Todd. Don, what are you, what are you looking at on the stat sheet? What are you looking for? I'm just looking how we, we guarded and who, who did what, you know, not necessarily just the points, you know, Royce O'Neal did a hell of a job on Brandon Ingram tonight, three of 18 uh, for 10 points. Um, I do want to say this though. Um, Herb Jones is, is, I think is going to be in this league for a long time. Uh, got to give him his props. He's made it tough on me every night we've played him. Um, he's, he's a guy that, you know, doesn't talk much, doesn't do much, doesn't say much, but he goes out there and, and competes, you know, tonight he was four, eight, four, 11, 11 points. And, but defensively he's, he's, he's tough. Um, I want to give him his props for that. Um, because he's, he's a guy that makes you work, makes you think, um, and just kind of comes to work and does his thing. So he's going to be in the league for a while, and I, and I hope he is because he's he's a hell of a hell of a player, hell of a kid. But you know, we're the same age, but kid, but whatever. Um, but he's he's a guy that you know 
can make life hard for, for scores like myself. Um, but yeah, just kind of seeing, you know, you know, turnovers, uh, free throws, where guys got shots, how many shots, you know, that that's, that's the biggest thing, you know, um, Devante shot four or 12, like making God, making it tough, you know, on those guys, but you got to give credit to Royce, man, Mike, you know, making it tough. Jones had a, an okay game, you know, solid game, but Rudy made Rudy countered it and continued to, to, to fight. We're asking Rudy to do a lot, especially with Hassan out. Um, so that's pretty much what I'm looking at as a whole. Uh, Brett Martel, AP. Hey, Donovan. Um, I think there's about four and a half minutes left in the game, and Josh Hart was guarding you pretty tight on the perimeter, and you hit that step back three. And I was just wondering if you could recall what um, were you thinking at that point, and what do you think a shot like that does, or how does how does that affect a game in the late stages? Um, it's kind of demoralizing in a way, you know, being able to hit a shot late clock like that. You know, I understood that there was, you know, nobody on the right side. So if I drove, it'd be, you know, like I said before, kind of driving into length and having to make possibly a tough pass late clock, uh, where they they've been they were good at rotating and scrambling. So you know, those are the shots that I work on late clock in those situations. Um, just continuing to find your spot, you know, because at the end of the day, that's what I that's what I'm here to do. Um, and being when I'm in those situations, just kind of just going back to what I've been working on and repping. Um, and I think that's really where that came from. But those, that's a big shot, you know, and, you know, and I think you may consider it a tough shot, but for me, it's, it's normal because I've worked at it, you know, when you work at something for so long. So I'm um, just kind of get into your spot, get into somewhere you've continually put work in and just letting it fly. Sometimes it goes in and then you looked at the end when the shot I hit over, uh, I missed over uh, Walker. Uh, it's the same shot, you know, it just went in and out. So, you know, not, it's not always going to go in, but when you continually put the work in, you know, you trust it and you let it fly. That is Donovan Mitchell. Big night for Donovan. 29 points, five assists, three rebounds. Donovan was 11 of 19 shooting. Let's now let you hear from Mike Conley. Hey, Mike. So uh, Quinn mentioned that you guys are not the Showtime Lakers in that you don't run for layups and dunks, but you're running for spacing and, and creating better looks at, op- at open shots. Um, what kind of was the process of, of, of getting such great looks tonight? Um, I, I think first um, was just trying to get get some kind of stop and get a you know get a rebound box out, get a rebound and run. Um, we didn't really get into a good flow until we started getting out, you know, pushing the ball, throwing it ahead. Uh, like you said, we weren't necessarily getting layups, but we were we were creating um, opportunities for ourselves by you know throwing it ahead, driving it to the paint. Uh, kicking it out to the next guy, getting easy looks. And uh, I think it allowed everybody to kind of get rhythm, touch the ball, and uh, get a good flow to our game. Tony Jones. Um, You know, there's an adage, you know, that kind of says don't let one loss turn into two or whatever. You know, what what was the key for you guys to to come back and, and just play well? You know, tonight, to not only start off the road trip, but just kind of, you know, get Saturday. Um, out of your minds a little bit? Well, I, I think number one, you know, this team, we've been pretty resilient all year. I think we haven't let too many things kind of, you know, sit too long. Uh, lost it hasn't been too heavy. I think we've learned from every every individual game. And, you know, that, that game against the Warriors, we learned from, learned a lot about ourselves and, and small ball situations. And, um, obviously, stuff that we can work on. But coming out here to New Orleans, start the trip, and we were just refocused on them, on matchups, uh, what we needed to do to get the job done, and we got there and, and did it. All right, time for last one, Sarah Todd. 
Mike Donovan just had a, a lot of glowing things to say about Herb Jones, uh, especially as a defender. I'm wondering kind of what you see out of him and, and just the, the small bit that you've seen. I think he's been phenomenal um, for a young guy to come in and take the challenge of guarding, you know, guys like Donovan, some of the best players in the league, um, the way he moves his body, the way he, you know, is able to, to you know, do the things he does. It's obvious that he's a, a natural defender, but it seems like he really watches film and, and really studies the game. So just uh, it's been it's been fun to compete against him. I know Donovan has probably said enough about him, but uh, he's been he's been a bright spot uh, for their team. There's Mike Conley, 22 points, eight rebounds, seven assists from uh, Mike, who, of course, is the model of consistency, never too high, never too low. Let's uh, wrap things up with Boyan Bogdanovich. Boyan, how's it going? Congrats on the win. Um, I want to talk about the end of the first half and especially uh, the the 10-1 run that you guys did in the third quarter, uh, the starting in the beginning of the third quarter. Uh, how was the, the talks uh, with you and Queen, uh, the team and Queen, uh, during halftime and and speaking about basketball, what did you guys adjust uh, in order to get the win in the second half? Thank you. I mean, we adjust just playing, playing a little bit faster and 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 better, better defense. I mean, second half we ran a lot of sort of pick and rolls with uh, with Donovan and Mike because we knew that they are kind of doubling, doubling Donovan. So we did a great, great job and great, great reads out of these pick and rolls and then he had a he had a couple ISO situation that he converted to the points but uh but yeah speech in halftime was to try to to play a little bit faster and and and, and move the ball a little bit better. Sarah Todd Boyan how how do things change for you defensively when you don't have Hassan backing up Rudy? I mean, it's it's completely different defense, but uh, but Ocho is is doing doing great job. We are kind of changing the the lineup and changing our our pick and roll defense. Depends who we guarding, so it's also it's also something to look up. He's doing great job for for us, and it's also preparing for probably for something that we're gonna play later, maybe. Last question, Eric Walden. Hey, Boyan, you guys hadn't been this good in terms of number of threes made and efficiency of making them in the last five or six games. Kind of what was the difference tonight in terms of uh, getting those good looks from outside? I mean, we had a lot of lot of great corner corner threes, corner looks. And then, like I said, every team is playing us differently, especially our, our pick and roll pick and roll players. So like I said, they were doubling Donovan. So he was making great reads out of out of those double teams and, and, and he was finding us and, and JC was pretty pretty hot in a, in the first quarter and in the beginning of the second hitting three threes in a in a row. So we are just moving the ball and we are playing the the, the right way. There's Bogdanovich twenty one points, eight of seventeen shooting five of eleven from three is the Jazz win. One fifteen to one oh four over the New Orleans Pelicans up next for the Jazz. They'll take on the Denver Nuggets coming up tomorrow night. The game will tip off at eight o'clock. Pre-game coverage here on the station begins at seven. There's the best of the post game show, the Jazz and the Pelicans. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are coming up next.